I'm Mark Haywood, and this is Behind the Spine, a podcast which deconstructs genre and narrative and finds learning opportunities for writers in the most unlikely of places. In video games, you are taking that journey, you are getting on that bus and going to that place, or you are flying to your Animal Crossing island. And I think you forget how much choice empowers people. Gone are the days when the two-dimensional table tennis game Pong was enough to captivate a gamer. Though there may still be nostalgia for the likes of Space Invaders and Pac-Man, gamers are a different breed these days and they want a lot more. What we see now are massive movie-like stories, lifelike graphics and sprawling environments, creating some of the most immersive experiences imaginable, all accessible from the comfort of your sofa. The game The Witcher so effectively brought to life the fantasy of Sapkowski's original novels that Netflix decided to mould the detailed plotlines and strong characters into a widely successful series. Then, you have the likes of 2018's God of War, the franchise's eighth instalment, heralded for its vivid narrative, art and character design. Needless to say, there's a mountain of inspiration we can draw from the storytelling within video games and the communities that have been built up around the industry. So on hand today, with all the information we need, is Sam Loveridge, Global Editor-in-Chief of Games Radar, a website which hosts game reviews, guides and all the latest news. Chapter 1. True Immersion For many, the thrill of a game lies in the pure escapism it offers, in its ability to turn you into the protagonist. Whether you're watching a movie at the cinema or loading up the next episode of your favourite series, you're often simply an onlooker. But with gaming, everything rides on you. But what a challenge it must be for game designers and writers to create a world that can shift and change depending on the actions of the individual who's holding the controller. Before we dive headlong into the writing lessons you can learn from game design, I've been itching to know how the coronavirus pandemic is affecting gaming behaviour. Is it true to assume that as most of the world remains on lockdown, a lot of video games are being played right now? (laughs) Oh, hell yes. Um, I mean, if our site is anything to go by, (laughs) the amount of people reading about video games and therefore playing video games has absolutely shot up. I think people forget that, you know, Video games are a huge entertainment form nowadays. You know, you're an active player. You are the person in the storyline. But it's more than that as well. You are, you know, being able to connect with your friends through video games. You know, big games like Fortnite. um, A lot of my team are currently playing Call of Duty Warzone. You know, free games that are downloadable, you know, straight to your home. You don't need to pay any money apart from, you know, your internet subscription and whatever. Um, But they're a great way to experience stories and connect with other people to create your own stories within that so you know there they've been a great a great comfort to a lot of people i think right now has there been an explosion in the amount of games that are being released both both free and paid for content i i, I know i don't know whether you know i know you cover film and tv on the website as well um clearly there's been a lot of big movie premieres that have been pushed back to the end of the year because people can't be in movie theaters and cinemas together at the same time that's not the case in in gaming is it you can be at home so have games continued to be released over the last few weeks there's been a few big games that have been delayed due to, you know, complications of COVID and trying to get people together to finish off special effects and um, making sure that there is enough phys- physical media to actually ship to people who want to play. But actually developers, you know, the people that are actually making the games that are already out there, they did a huge amount of free promotion when when this all for- first kicked off. And actually you could download a lot of the big games for free. You could have trial weekends. They had lots of in-game events to try and get people together and, and excited about video games. So there have been a lot of smaller indie games released during this period, which is nice to try and keep that enthusiasm going. 
going. And a lot of the games that were sort of due to release end of March, early April still went ahead. So there was a, you know, a big excitement in the industry around that time. But you are sort of seeing the big games get delayed into June, July because of the complications of actually just trying to get things to work and the security of working on an unreleased game in 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 this situation and trying to work from home. Yeah, I, you mentioned um, Fortnite, which is always an interesting reference point for people because that if you if you're not a gamer, it's likely that you will have heard of a game like Fortnite, not least because there are. 16 year olds from the northeast of England winning quarter of a million dollars in you know in competitions but I, I I'm a big fan of looking at the end of year top 10 Google searches and typically there will always be two or three big game names in those Google searches you know usually things like um Fortnite um what I think people don't realize though is how big the gaming industry is I mean am I right in saying it's as big as the movie and music industries combined is that right yeah it's it's absolutely massive and i think there's still like a negative perception of gaming that it's something that you know fat teenagers play in their mum's basement and you know it's all guns and you know, bad language and and people swearing at each other over the internet and you know i think I, my parents still think i have a the most ridiculous job in the world um playing video games every day and writing about them but you know hey it's fun and also that you know people forget that Games are a fantastic storytelling medium. They're not all about guns and violence and blood and, and everything that the negative connotations of, of video games and the industry as a whole. There are beautiful elements of all games and especially when it comes to storytelling and, and the way that the visuals are used to tell a story even without any words. I wanted to talk about storytelling because I've often wondered whether gaming or video games are an expression of, of the purest form of the long form narrative, because as I understand it, and I'll tell you a little bit about my own gaming background um, in a bit, but if you play a game, like let's pick a really big one that everyone will probably have heard of, something like Grand Theft Auto, and whichever level you play that at in terms of the profanity, the violence, et cetera, et cetera, you could play that at a very, very basic level. And I know lots of parents do that with their children in an attempt to effectively drive around a city where they used to live, you know, would be an example of that. But as I understand it, you, the gamer, has complete control over every choice that that character makes in that story. Therefore, is it true to say that the writers and the developers and the coders have to if, almost plan for every single eventuality? Is that right? Because if you have total control over a character, you could literally make that person do whatever you wanted. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, it's very different. There's a whole sort of spectrum of of freedom that you can have in games. You can go from one end of the spectrum where, you know, everything has been laid out for you. You you are just following a linear path, experiencing the story as the developer created, moving within spaces that have been specially crafted for you to move through them in a certain way. But then, like you said, something like GTA or Rockstar's latest game, Red Dead Redemption 2, which is a big Western cowboy adventure where you can literally do anything. I mean, I spent a good four hours the other day just fishing. I didn't need to do any story. I just you know whittled away the time just doing catching some fish and seeing what I could get um but yeah the developer has to make sure that they've thought about oh what if this person rides their horse into this town kills that person pisses off a cop over there and and suddenly all the chaos that ensues from that or you know the other eventuality is you know what if somebody does want to spend four hours fishing have they thought about that 
It's interesting, uh, the crossover from things like video games and what you could do. You know, I, I in preparation for this, I spoke to a number of people that told me about some of their favorite games. And somebody brought up um, Red Dead Redemption 2. And they said, I said, what is it you love about it? And they said, just watch this YouTube clip of this character walking around in the snow and listen to the crunch of the snow and listen to what the snow does in terms of the movement under the feet. It's astonishingly varied how people interact with it. And it really reminded me, I don't know whether you've seen a TV show, um, Westworld, in which you're effectively a real-life character in a computer game, or at least that's how it it seems to me. I, I wonder, are we crossing genre and boundaries and formats now are we are we is gaming becoming not that it was ever not mainstream but are more people connecting with it be, be, than ever before do you think i think so because there are so many different elements of of video games that can appeal to different people i mean just look at the way that animal crossing new horizons has taken over twitter and basically the world right now and it's just a game about making a little island and a, a little tropical paradise and there is no story per se um but it is appealing to lots of people it's, it's appealing to people who want to create fashion who want to do interior design um, who want to take up gardening but don't have a garden they're trapped in a flat right now so i think you know, it, it isn't just, there isn't one form of gaming that appeals to one type of person. There is, there is a whole spectrum of things and, and experiences to have, particularly when you, you get virtual reality involved, which literally puts you in the game and somehow manages to completely block out the outside world for an hour or two. Yeah, there's a very good friend of mine who told me when I spoke to her recently that she said she's visited virtually at least pretty much every single major museum in the world during lockdown. And, and Animal Crossing, what you just said, that's exactly the same thing, right? People that don't have access to arts and crafts and hobbies that they would maybe like to do get them get the chance to try them out in the video gaming world. I've been obsessed with this game called House Flipper, which is about um, literally like renovating homes, painting, tiling, knocking down walls and stuff, uh, power washing um, to, you know, resell on a house and then move on to the next one. And it's just like, that's something that I could never do in real life. I don't have limitless cash, but suddenly I'm, a, I'm an expert tiler and, you know, I'm here in my rented house, I'm not being able to do anything, but... I reckon I but, could build a sink now. <laughs> That's fantastic. Chapter 2. A new generation of gamer. The stereotype of a nerdy gamer who hasn't left his mum's basement in weeks is old news. The image of an overweight, unhealthy addict stuck at his computer is being challenged, with people like World of Warcraft's Bajira excelling at the game whilst also competing in bodybuilding championships. Gaming has even given rise to a new dimension of entertainment, eSports. I alluded to it before, but the 2019 Fortnite World Cup prize pool totaled a whopping $100 million. It's a good lesson for writers. Don't rush to play on old stereotypes from the past. It's easy to fall into the trap of portraying certain character traits in ways which no longer hold true. Take the stereotypical gay best friend, for example. That image has become so out of date that the concept is roundly mocked for comic effect in the Rebel Wilson film, Isn't It Romantic? So if the gamer has changed over the years, how has gaming journalism shifted? I think it's changed in the in the nature of, of the journalists. Like, when I first started in this career about seven years ago, it was mainly men. You know, I felt, oh my goodness, I'm the you know lone woman coming into this industry, or that's what I felt like going to certain events and stuff. And actually, you know, over the course of that time that I've been in this industry, you know, more people of colour have been, got involved in writing, more women from different backgrounds, from different, you know, eth ethnic minorities. 
and that has really changed the way that we look at games we're not just looking at them from from one perspective anymore we're looking at them from you know a, a diverse range of opinions and mindsets and that's made gaming journalism so much more exciting and so much more varied in terms of like you know one person may pick out one element of a game that really spoke to them whereas you know someone else may pick something totally different and I think that has been really important for the industry to grow up a lot and to evolve and diversify and you know really explore games for the power they have to engage you for you know 90 plus hours I mean I've played Animal Crossing for 390 hours already like that's insane but yeah, it's, it's it's amazing isn't it yeah is that is that a trend that you think will continue is it broadening and diversifying all the time yeah, absolutely. I mean, I get lots of pictures from freelancers and, and, and there are new faces cropping up every day, which makes me so happy. And like I've been trying to, you know, there are schemes out there. There's this fantastic scheme called Limit Break, which is trying to pair women and people of colour and um, um, disabled people together to try and learn from each other and, you know, learn how to get into the industry, both from the journalist side and, you know, developer side and art and story and everything like that. And I think there are so many more ways to get into this industry now or you know both writing and from the actual making the games do you think there is a almost a snobbery that writers of um either literature film and television have or have had because i think it's changing towards gaming and do you think that that snobbery if it does exist is misplaced given the size of the gaming industry yeah, I guess I guess you could call it snobbery. I think I think there is that perception that, you know, games are a silly pastime for children and and that is changing now. And I think, you know, mainstream media covering games like Fortnite is is, you know, giving a better platform to video games as a whole. The fact that they're included in BAFTA now is is a fantastic addition to, you know, uh, for recognizing that the, this is an art form. This is an industry that's worth taking notice of. Even if you don't want to play, you know, your Call of Duties and your Grand Theft Autos, there is something for you. But I think, yeah, that there is so much space for a blurring of the lines between movies, TV and video games. Like, I don't know whether you know the game Quantum Break. It actually, yes, I've heard uh, of it. I've not played it, but heard of it, yes. Yeah, the fact that it blended live action TV episodes with the game, and that's how you experience the the villain side of the story. It, you know, it may not have been the world's best-selling game, but it was a fantastic idea of like, you know, how can we meld these worlds and, and build bridges between different genres and different um, art forms? I was fascinated by your mention of um, disabled writers and journalists and indeed disabled people in general. Surely things like AI and gaming allow people with disabilities opportunities that they would just not normally have in conventional either literature, film or television. The ability to immerse yourself. If, for example, you're in a wheelchair or you can't get out of the house, you could literally be in a different planet in a heartbeat by picking up a gaming console or putting on a, an AI VR mask, for example. Yeah, yeah, VR, virtual reality has been a huge benefit, I think, for you know anyone who is is housebound for whatever reason. You can be whoever you want to be in video games. Like you can you can be a representation of yourself, but you could also be an astronaut or you know an alien or a, you know I keep going to, for spacey things, but you know you could also just be you know a shopkeeper or something simple like that, that's something you may not be able to experience. So it's, you know, giving you access to different walks of life without even having to leave your sofa. 
Um, I'll, I'll share an early formative, very formative experience I had um, with gaming. Uh, and I'm going to show my age here. But in the mid 80s, um, there was a, a game came out called Way of the Exploding Fist. And, and a year later, Way of the Exploding Fist 2 came out it's called The Legend Continues. Uh, and it was a martial arts um, game. Um, for the, for the, that's the easiest description of it. Now, I never played the original. I played Way of the Exploding Fist 2. And I kept walking into rooms and not understanding why, why my character would just die. And it was literally years later that I realized that the rooms I were walking into were gas chambers. And because I was playing on a black and white television, I couldn't see the fact that it was a gas chamber, right? Now that was, you know, you think that was 19, that was 1986. The point of telling you that story is that I want to actually take you back not that long ago, but I want to take you back a decade um, to 2010 and the release of a game called Heavy Rain, which is a game that comes up often when I talk to gamers about, you know, talk to me about a game that really got you interested from a story and an interaction perspective. But why did that one particular game, and it does divide opinion because I've reread all of the reviews and I've had a look at it, but why is that game the one that comes up time and time again where people say, oh yeah, I remember the first thing that got me hooked was a game called Heavy Rain and it was because, you know, and sometimes the answer is different, but did you play that game? I did. I, it's actually one of the first games that I got to the end and immediately started again because I was obsessed with trying to find out like what the alternative endings were. You know, this is a game that offered you so much choice, a spider web of connecting narrative that changed according to what decisions you made, who you spoke to, when you spoke to them, uh, you know, what what narrative, you know, A, B or C you chose and and the, the ripples that that had on the storyline. And, you know, I think for me, I'd played other games like it, like uh, Mass Effect series had the same sort of branching narrative, but it felt like, you know, this was a, a hugely dark game. It's about a man whose son goes missing and he ends up getting involved with like a serial killer and police and it's dark. It, you know, and it's as someone who loves crime fiction and crime drama, you know, I was I was the victim in this and, and suddenly I was experiencing everything that I would have loved in an episode of, you know, CSI or something like that. That interactive narrative and, and exploring different avenues and different um, different choices that you could take and see what the alternatives were. I mean, that sounds, you bring it right up to date, that sounds like the Black Mirror film Bandersnatch, doesn't it? The, the ability of the audience to simply choose. Is it as, is it as simple as, as that? I mean, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to label, you know, games or TV shows as the same just for the sake of it, but it would seem to me that television and film, to a certain extent, is adapting to the gaming model in terms of giving the audience choices. Is that fair? Absolutely. And Bandersnatch is a great example. You know, it was the first of its kind of the sort of interactive TV show. There have been more on Netflix. Uh, I think Bear Grylls did one and there's a, a Puss in Boots one as well, I think. But you forget how much choice empowers people. You know, like you can watch a TV show and the, it, or a movie and you can, you know, I bet you can't even count on both hands the amount of times you screamed at the TV because somebody's made the wrong decision in your eyes. Like, because in a video game, you can choose to make that decision and you can make wrong decisions that you'll come to regret later. And Heavy Rain is one of those. I made one decision that eventually I worked back completely ruined the ending or what I thought was the ending I deserved at that point. Um, so I think it's just, 
making people appreciate choice and the little decisions that you make like in bandersnatch i think if you choose one type of cereal or another that has a ripple later on and and not understanding that one tiny decision can actually have a huge impact on where that story goes is like super exciting like i know i found it very difficult in in this lockdown times to really engage with movies and tv because it just feels like too passive an experience whereas like in video games you yeah you are taking that journey you are getting on that bus and going to that place or you are flying to your animal crossing island or you are solving the you know the mystery of your missing son and i think giving people an active part in that story and where you go and like it doesn't even have to be through narrative there are so many games that are silent and they tell the story through your actions and your deeds rather than what you say and and that's a really interesting storytelling mechanic because suddenly you think about how you're perceived and how you come across through the way that you move or the way that you touch someone's life or you know it's it's things like that that make you actually appreciate the sort of mundanities of life and somehow that makes them more exciting in video games chapter three the future immersion autonomy and fluid storytelling are the linchpins of the video game industry's success So could you borrow these techniques to invigorate your next writing project? Or perhaps you could consider trying your hand within the gaming industry itself. Could you learn to deal with the challenge of user agency whilst developing a strong narrative arc? And while we're thinking about the future of your writing, what does the future of gaming look like? Well, this is a huge year for gaming. We've got, we're on the cusp of two next generation consoles come out. Microsoft is doing the Xbox Series X and Sony's doing the PS5. So we're about to see what the future of gaming looks like in terms of, you know, storytelling, visual effects. And actually one of the most interesting game that's, games that's coming out in the next, uh, you know, six months is The Last of Us 2, which is uh, a sequel to Sony's exclusive, which is going to deal with the brutality of living in a post-apocalyptic world, which may feel quite hard right now, but it's also dealing with the way that, you know, humanizing the way that we deal with murder in games. And, you know, when you kill someone, someone is going to call out their name, you know, Jeffrey, oh my God, I can't believe you killed Jeffrey. And suddenly, you know, it's not just some random non-playable character that you've attacked. It's someone's friend, it's someone's partner, someone's father. But then there's also Cyberpunk 2077, which is based on tabletop games and books, which is going to offer that huge mesh of storytelling and narrative option and character design. And there are different factions that you can join and political allegiances to make. And that will that will be a mind, a mind map to explore later this year when it comes out in September. So the, in, the industry is not just making things more personal and more human. It's also addressing global issues at the same time. Absolutely. I mean, even in The Sims is releasing an eco pack in the next couple of months, which is addressing how we could look to live greener lives, to recycle more, to interact with nature. So I think, you know, video games are dismissed as these, you know, frivolous, you know, pieces of entertainment. But actually, there's some serious messaging in there. You know, there are lots of LGBTQ themes and identities and, you know, everything that you experience in the microcosm of your own life, but on a on a huge scale and through ways that you wouldn't be able to experience in your own life as well. 
So it's addressing exactly the same things that, again, literature, film and television and audio and theatre would be doing just on a global scale in terms of the accessibility it has to its its audience. I love that because what that means is that if we're all focusing on the right issues, this is going to sound silly, but that means the right issues will get in front of the audience that is craving stories that are connected to those issues. However it consumes them, it doesn't matter. It's got to get the right issues in front of the right people. Absolutely. And I think you can see video games as part of, you know, extended reading. You know, if you're going to watch something like Normal People or Westworld, you know, there's there are video games that will connect to that in terms of themes and ideologies and, you know, narratives and characters and things like that. And you just suddenly video games become much more a piece of that entertainment puzzle and that educational puzzle as well I think because you know it's not just entertainment you are learning stuff you are being put into the shoes of somebody who you wouldn't put you wouldn't be or you aren't or you wouldn't experience or come into contact with in in life you mentioned how many hours you'd played um was it Animal Crossing you were talking about how many hours you, you played that but if you think about how long some people would invest in if we pick television we pick continuing drama um we pick a show that runs for 30 years or runs for 10 series or 12 seasons whatever it is right it's the same level of commitment and i often wonder whether we know some of these characters better than we know members of our own family some of our lifelong friends you know it's that emotional a connection isn't it between you the gamer and the story and the character and we shouldn't take that lightly or dismiss it because there's something pulling you to be involved to that extent in that storyline yeah and these characters have built have been built like you know with as much depth as you would a character in a drama or 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 a book sometimes even more so because you suddenly you can spend so much time with these characters whether it's as part of the story or just in downtime or you know just fishing with the other person which seems to be my go-to in in this in this crisis um but yeah that these are these are living breathing characters that will stay with you for multiple series entries you know even if it's just for the 90 hours you spent in in this open world game this big thing you know you are you are learning about them, you're discovering their backstory. And actually, you know, most games have a huge lore that you can go and read. They're connecting books and, and wiki pages and things to discover. So, you know, there's it's a huge, huge narrative experience discovering another character in the game. So far from it adhering or acknowledging the stereotype of it being, you know, the single loner, loser, frat boy eating pizza in his mom's basement, what it's actually doing is connecting people to a global community that shares the same interest as them that has to be a good thing right absolutely and they can do it in games they can do it through you know social media through reddit through discord forums you know there are so many ways that gamers connect with each other and people have met and got married through video games you know I, I live with my partner who's another video game journalist and I wouldn't have met him if it wasn't for video games and our love of all things all things digital so you know video games are just another way to connect people and to bring people who love you know certain genres or themes or characters together well on that very happy note Sam thank you very much for being on the podcast um, good luck for the rest of the lockdown and also I hope that the games that are coming out that you're very excited about meet your expectations thanks oh, thank very much you. and if you need anything else you know where I am a massive thank you then to Sam Loveridge for joining me on the podcast so to recap what have we learned? 
Just as stereotypes in the world of gaming are being challenged, you must challenge the stereotypes you employ in your writing. Do they hold up in the modern world, or are they just tired and old? Choice is empowering. Video games offer the user the chance to take control of a narrative, to make their own choices. Consider how you might utilise the strengths of user agency when telling your next story. Games are adding a new layer of insight, tackling some of the world's biggest struggles, like the environment. Think about how you can include elements of humanity's current issues in your writing to add depth and meaning to your story. And finally, when the world is fighting just to stay alive amid this pandemic, it's easy to doubt the value of your work. But gaming is a prize example of why the value of entertainment, particularly now, cannot be underestimated. It lifts our spirits, it connects us in incredible ways, it makes us feel human. What you're doing is worthwhile. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Haywood. And if you'd like to get in touch, we're on Twitter and Facebook as at Behind the Spine. New episodes release weekly. Please like us and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really does help. Coming up next week, we'll be in conversation with world-famous deaf percussionist Dame Evelyn Glennie. Goodbye for now. Stay safe and keep writing.